to Dharma Glimpses, an introduction to the profound treasury teachings of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, taught by Judy Leaf. In this episode, Judy investigates a different section of the Wheel of Life. Welcome. Uh, we're continuing the discussion today of samsara and nirvana, the notion of freedom and the notion of imprisonment or confusion and awakening, and particularly kind of dissecting it a little bit according to teachings that are contained in an image called the Wheel of Life that you may have seen. So I talked earlier about the basic premises of what is samsara, what is nirvana, and why are there such threads throughout a Buddhist path, and then talking about kind of on the core, the hub of the problem of the ongoing struggles based on grasping and rejecting it and ignoring. That was the pig, the snake, and the rooster. And in this little episode, I wanted to go to another section of this wheel, which it breaks things down into steps or stages, particularly how our actions, what do our actions do? How do they contribute? How do we play our little part in perpetuating samsara? Broken down into stages, manageable steps, I suppose you could say, but uh, looking a little bit more specifically rather than a general sense of things. So these stages are broken down to 12 steps from initial kind of ignorance to a final conclusion of the deathly uh, repetition, birth and death, birth and death, repeating, repeating, endlessly, one thing after another, one thing after another, relentlessly and pointlessly to a large degree. So these steps, uh, I'll focus on just a few, and there you can look at it in different ways, but it seems to be looking at where do we get stuck, or Pema Chodin used to talk about, where do we get hooked? You know, where, where do we lose it in terms of opening our hearts and minds, developing awareness, kindness, and openness, etc.? And the first important point is that, that the origin fundamentally, according to this description, is ignorance. It, it is a certain kind of bewilderment, and the great image for it is the image of a blind grandmother. Like we put things to motion, like a grandmother has produced birth and grandchildren, but blindness means we do these things and we don't have any clue what their effect is going to be on us or on others or on the world altogether. We do so many actions, we don't really understand what we're doing, uh, yet they have lots of repercussions, but we can't see them. We're blind to that. So that's an inter- interesting, powerful image. Like so many times, what are we doing? We don't really know. We're just doing them. <laughs> like we don't know why. We're just leading to, we just do it because we don't know how not to do it. So that's part of this. We're trying to figure out how not to do the things that lead to greater suffering for ourselves and others. So starting point, always thinking about where are our blind spots? How blind are we to what our effect on the world might be? So there are many steps, and I'm not going to belabor you going with all of them. I'll focus on three primarily. And this is a kind of an interesting point because it's a point we can see pretty clearly and begin to interrupt through noticing and through familiarity that comes up in meditation practice. And one thing that happens in meditation and in the Buddhist tradition is a lot of emphasis on the sense perceptions, working with the sense perceptions. How do we know we're in a world? How do we know what's going on at all? 
uh, so much has to do with the bodily uh, senses, the seeing and smelling and hearing and tasting and touching. And in uh, Buddhism as well, the uh, sense of thinking, thoughts arising. So senses are like uh, windows, or sometimes they're more like little pinholes through which we look at our world. And there's a lot of appreciation for beauty and power of the sense perceptions. It's not a tradition that tries to dim them down, but actually lets them be free and loose. So sensing is a pretty natural and somewhat neutral kind of process where our sense organs are stimulated by sense objects, like sight through a a visual object or sound, ears, a sense of hearing through uh, sounds, etc. So it's a simple connecting point of a catalyst and then sense organ. And at the same time, there's a noticing of that. You know, many, many things happen that are resonate in the ears, eyes, nose, etc. But we don't actually sense them really because we haven't connected, we haven't noticed or, or linked up our perception directly. So senses arise and we note that. We have a noticing quality. So when that happens, we see a pleasant or unpleasant sight, hear a pleasant or unpleasant sound then it causes a lot of feelings in us of pleasure or displeasure or positive, negative, etc. And he said there's a very intensity of these feelings that can arise from just a thought or a sensation of searing, sound, smell, taste. The image there is like an arrow in the eyes. It's so vivid and so intense that we have so reactive. And here's the thing. At that point, we're really susceptible to uh, what is called craving. So sensing, feeling, and craving. The craving is the kind of thing where, okay, you've had a, a visual or sensory perception, and then immediately you you react. Before you even notice, craving has an instantaneous quality. Like sometimes you decide you're not going to eat a cupcake, and before you notice, you've already eaten it. Before you even noticed, just happens. Boom, you ate it. Or you weren't going to say something nasty to that person, and boom, you said it before you even noticed. So that sense of become caught at that point, between simply noticing the the beauty of the senses to reaction to those things with our particular agendas, and then immediately acting in a way that is further entangles us in an ongoing, confusing pattern of samsara. So at this point, we're looking at small steps that happen moment to moment, day by day. Of course, we sense things, we uh, we encounter things, we react, we overreact, we underreact by avoiding, and how we can interrupt some of those patterns so that we're a little bit looser and less easily captured by the ups and downs uh, and the pleasures and pains that are just a part of life altogether. So the good news here is that we don't have to look elsewhere for a perfect world to uh, be good practitioners and work with our minds, but we can work with it in the midst of all this kind of messiness and some degree of confusion. We can work with that as fertile ground for waking up. Thank you for this glimpse of Dharma. This podcast is made possible through the support of the Hamera Foundation. 
To learn more about Judy Leaf's teachings, publications, and retreats, or to contribute to the support of this podcast, please visit judyleaf.com.